Aaron and I recorded a podcast with Dolph Foreman, great grandson of Holocaust survivor Lily Albert. My great grandmother's a Holocaust survivor, as you say, 99 years old. She's a survivor of Auschwitz. Dolph and Lily post on social media where they have a big following of over 2 million people just on TikTok alone, uh, where they discuss and educate people on the Holocaust and on anti Semitism. Realise that with one click of a button, anyone on social media can make a difference and an impact on the world. Hi, Dolph. Welcome to the podcast. So, you're Quite, quite a younger age, something I can say as well, um, and you've you've risen to fame through uh, social media, um, notably on TikTok. You've over two million followers um, through. I mean, you're talking about the Holocaust and uh, with your great grandmother Lily Albert, who's a Holocaust survivor. Do you want to just talk about that and, and how did you get to this stage? Yes. So my great grandmother's a Holocaust survivor, as you say, 99 years old. She's a survivor of Auschwitz from Hungary initially, but came to the UK in 1967. Um, and she rebuilt her life. She has three children, 10 grandchildren, and 37 great-grandchildren, of which I'm proudly one of them. And during COVID, this is when this all really started, so I began documenting my great-grandmother's story. It was incredibly hard for me to not be able to spend a lot of time with her as I had done previously during the lockdown. And so as soon as those lockdown rules were eased, I began to spend more time with my great-grandmother, and I began to ask her more questions about her Holocaust testimony and what she went through during those that during during the period of the Holocaust. And the first thing I did was actually I started on Twitter, not on TikTok. I posted a picture of a banknote which my great grandmother had shown me. And this banknote was given to her by an American Jewish liberator. She was liberated from the Death March on Friday the thirteenth of April nineteen forty five. And this American Jewish liberator had wanted to write her a note for good luck and happiness in kind of the light in her life going forwards. And he couldn't find a piece of paper, so he pulled out a banknote. And he wrote on the side 10 words, 10 words of hope, the start to a new life, good luck and happiness. And when I saw this, this banknote, which the soldier had written, he hadn't written his name. He only wrote his position in the army, but there were quite a few individuals with that same position. I was struck for two reasons. Firstly, I realized that this was the first piece of kindness that my great grandmother had received. And it meant so much to her that she kept it for over 75 years, hidden away in the back of one of her cupboards. And the other thing I realized was that I had rarely learned about the kindness and the work that the liberators did to help bring those survivors back to life and to help bring them back to normality. And so I tweeted this banknote. I joked with my great grandmother before I tweeted it that I'd be able to find this soldier. Um, But lo and behold, within 24 hours, over two million people had seen the tweet and we managed to find the soldier's family. The soldier had unfortunately passed away. And that's where this all started. I then went on um, international news and I realized that with one click of a button, not only myself, but every single young person and not only young people, but anyone on social media can make a difference and an impact on the world. And that's just through the click of the button that says tweet or post on Instagram or TikTok, whatever it may be. But through that, even if you have just a few followers, something can get picked up and be seen by millions, if not hundreds of millions of people across the world. And since then, our platform has continued to grow. We moved from Twitter to TikTok, where, as you say, we have over 2 million followers. And I try to use my platform not only to share about the horrors that my great-grandmother witnessed during the Holocaust, but also to share about how she rebuilt her life, about hope, about happiness, and to speak about Judaism, more Judaism atrocities across the world, more recently about Israel, especially um, as we see the war going on there and the horrors that took place on October 7th. And so I use my platform to try and share as much as possible about our religion and our community. Did you, when when you were younger, did you, I mean, I say when you were younger, but did, you, does, did your grandmother talk to you about the Holocaust? Was she open about it? 
So my great grandmother always spoke about her testimony. I remember from a very young age, her coming really, into our. She was really open about it. She she has been yes, but not to my kind of mother's generation and my grandmother's generation, but more to to the great grandchildren. And so I remember very from a very young age, her coming into our primary school and giving her story. But we mustn't forget that this is something which is obviously incredibly traumatic for her. So when she used to come into the school, she used to give a story with very few details, just explaining that she's a survivor. This is kind of what she went through, a very quick overview, but never really about those raw details that happened to her, what she saw. And so when we started interviewing for TikTok and then later for the book, which we wrote together, which the King wrote forward to and is now a New York Times bestseller translated into over 15 languages, we obviously had to flesh out those details and try and get those raw images. And, and, and some of the things that my great-grandmother said were, were even too graphic to include in the book, some of the stories. In fact, I'll recount one now, which is that she says when she was in Auschwitz, she saw a baby being thrown against the wall um, by the Nazis until the baby was murdered. Um, and so it's those sorts of stories, which obviously are incredible, incredibly difficult for her to recount, but also for the listener and the reader to read and listen to. This podcast is sponsored by Iceberg. Iceberg is an SEO company unlike any other. Most SEO companies tie you into a six months highly priced contract, but Iceberg is different. Iceberg has no contract, has amazing customer service. You can contact them anytime, any day, and they'll be there for you. They actually get results and they don't charge a ridiculous amount. In fact, they'll be any genuine quote you get by 20%. So, if you want to increase website visibility and Google rankings to generate more inquiries, get in touch with Iceberg now. Contact them with the link in the description. It sounds similar to what's happening now in Israel. I mean, you mentioned the baby. You even posted on Twitter about your grandmother and how she's heartbroken. What? How does she feel? How is her reaction to what's happening now in Israel? Unfortunately for survivors across the world who, as I say, many have actually went to Israel to rebuild their life and their grandchildren, great-grandchildren now on the front lines protecting our homeland. And unfortunately, some of those taken hostage and murdered are not only Holocaust survivors, but also their descendants, their grandchildren, their children, their great-grandchildren. And for Holocaust survivors, including my great-grandmother across the world, this is something which must be incredibly painful. I don't think we can overstate that fact. They hoped that the call after the Holocaust of never again would mean never again. That people never again would people remain silent as innocent people were murdered in their bedrooms, in their villages, in their towns, like what happened on October 7th, 2023 in Israel. And we have to remember that this is not about land. This was not about politics. This was about a simple ideology of Hamas, Iran-backed terror. And they set out that ideology in their charter. And that's profoundly anti-minority, anti-minority, anti-difference, but violently anti-Jewish. They want to get rid of the Jewish state, but they won't only stop there. They want to get rid of all the Jews in the world, just like the Nazis did. And if they had the chance, if given the chance, they, like the Nazis, would have murdered six million innocent Jewish men, women, children, old people, Holocaust survivors. And unfortunately, the scenes that we witnessed only two weeks ago now in the time of recording or yeah, over, just over two weeks ago in the time of recording now, those scenes were reminiscent of what some people like my great-grandmother saw in the Holocaust. And so to see that, the pain that she must be going through, I can't even begin begin to, 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 to start to understand that pain of, of what she's seeing. Again, my great-grandmother's mother, younger sister and youngest brother were murdered by the Nazis in the gas chambers of Auschwitz-Birkenau. Um, you, you posted it on Twitter. I mean, it, this also went viral, but talking about your experiences in university. 
um, saying that, I mean, yeah, what, what exactly happened there? Unfortunately, Jewish people, not only in Israel, are being tormented by terror, but across the world, we're seeing that terrorist sympathizers like people in the UK who go out on our streets and celebrate the murder of innocent Jewish men, women and children on our streets by Hamas. We've seen them and they're trying to infiltrate our universities, our schools. They're trying to terrorize children to stop them from being able to, to go to university, to go to schools in peace. And we pride ourselves in the UK on being a Western liberal democracy where people can celebrate and, and, and live freely and practice whatever religion they want to. But unfortunately, Jewish students like myself feel unsafe on university campuses. Only last week when I was in a lecture, I heard someone through a megaphone screaming about what I thought he was saying about the Intifada. And I thought, no, that can't be true. Until a few minutes later, someone messaged on the Jewish Society group to say at the entrance to university, whilst the security guards were stood there doing nothing about it, there were about 10 to 20 people with Palestinian flags pretending to sympathize and care about the Palestinians. But they were there to torment and terrorize the Jews on campus by screaming that they want an interfardental victory against the Jewish people. And to be a Jewish student on campus, that's not acceptable. This should be eradicated from our campuses, from our streets. And the government have said there's a zero tolerance approach to this. And unfortunately, we've not seen that translated into policing. I know where you're based in Manchester, and there have been a few arrests and protests. But here in London, we've seen, uh, or across the UK, over 100,000 people over the weekend and last weekend too, go out on the streets, celebrating many, many are definitely going out there because they want to see peace on both sides. But there are also many people there who are going and who are being pro a terrorist organization, a prescribed terrorist organization here in the UK, Hamas. They're celebrating the actions. And in regular times, many people sympathize with the Palestinian cause. And that's fine. As I say, we all want to see innocent lives upheld on both sides. But if your response to what we saw in Israel on, the Octo on October 7th, 2023, the terrorizing and the murder of innocent civilians is to go out on the streets and celebrate then that's blatantly anti-Semitic. It's blatantly supporting a terror group. And the police should be cracking down on this. I don't know why they've not taken a, a kind of a tougher stance on this. You, you mentioned on your social media again that something along the line of being scared to go out visibly as a Jew. Is it scary for you in London? We've seen in London tube drivers on the tube chanting Free Palestine along with thousands of supporters on the train. Can you imagine having to be a Jew on that train? How you would feel? wearing a kippah, a visibly Jewish sign, or a star of David necklace. How, how can someone kind of feel safe in that type of environment? We've seen people come to our community of Golders Green, one of the most religious and Jewish areas in London, and spray Free Palestine on our bridges and break into one of the shops. And that is incredibly frightening. The Home Office have pledged another £3 million to CST and the police um, and the Jewish community to counter this. But when you have organisations, for example, like the BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation, spreading lies about Israel daily almost um, and spreading what you might call now today as a, a modern blood libel against the Jewish people, that leads, unfortunately, to violence on our streets and not only to violence, but people coming out and calling for violence. And again, we're witnessing scenes like we saw in the 1930s in Europe and in Nazi Germany, where people are calling for the annihilation of the Jewish people, not only the Israeli state, but the Jewish people across the world. So just going back to the point in university, when you, when you were in university, did you feel, did you personally feel scared or what, what was your initial reaction? I'm proud to be a Jewish person. I'm proud to wear a visibly Jewish symbol. My great-grandmother's a Holocaust survivor. She didn't survive so that someone like me would be frightened. But unfortunately, when you go to university, when I was in my lecture and then I come out of the lecture and I see these people standing at the gates of university, screaming that they want an intifada, violence against the Jewish people, 
yeah, I would say that, that I was worried and, and I was slightly frightened. Um, and and I, I'm sorry that the, the that the police and the security aren't taking more action on this. Um, yeah, I mean, it, like you said, in London, there's been a hundred thousand, a hundred, a hundred thousand people this past weekend uh, were protesting, and uh, last week as well, it was really huge. In Manchester, we haven't seen such uh, such big uh, such big protests, but in London, it's just been happening everywhere, uh, just on another scale. And I think on this, especially for example, the students in university who are calling for the violence against the Jews, who are calling for an intifada until victory. These people want to, and, and would very quickly, if given the chance, want to erase Israel from the map. Yet most of these people who are going out to protest can't even place where Israel is on the map. They pretend to be going out in support of the Palestinian people, but most of them, as I've said earlier, are there to support terror. And I don't think that they care about the civilians, and I don't think they know the full facts. And I think we're seeing a response to what's happening from organizations like the BBC going out and spreading lies, for example, about the hospital when we now know it wasn't an Israeli bombing. And that causes people who might not fully understand the conflict, might not fully understand the history of what's going on at the moment, to go out on the streets and, and, and be violently and call for violent anti-Jewish prejudice. Do you actually think university students who protest Israel wouldn't be, don't know that much about Israel and like they wouldn't even be able to place on the map? Look, I think, of course, there are people who do know, um, yeah, of course. <laughs> but, but there, there there are also those who, who go out and don't know very much and they just, because of what they see in the news and what they see yeah. on uh, on social media, but also that there's a lot of radicalisation that goes on um, in university campuses in the UK. Um, and I think somehow there needs to be a de-radicalisation programme of sorts have you seen because that? everyone... Have you seen uh, that in London? I mean, in university, in university, have you seen, have you seen that? Like, how... First hand, I've not seen first hand people kind of spreading those sorts of lies on campus, but I know friends who are sitting in lectures and the lecturers are spreading lies about Israel and about the Jewish people, um, about Jews being money grabbers. And these are old age tropes, which leads to anti-Semitism. We've seen it in the time of the Holocaust. We've seen it in the programmes of Europe and we're seeing it again now. Oh wow! I mean, yeah, it's, it's it's scary to think that. I mean, we're lucky in the in this particular uh, war uh, in in Israel. I mean, if you can even just even if you can even separate it, uh, that we've got Israel have the mass uh, support so far by uh, countries around the world. But as you say, um, for most of for most of the wars, it seems like Palestinians have the mass support. I mean, we. Uh, we're lucky, we're lucky, especially in the UK, to have a government who are so supportive of both the British Jewish community and of Israel, and the US have been too, and so so have so many other U EU countries and, and other countries across the world. But unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be translating down to population. And look, we mustn't overstate it. Jews are very lucky to live here in the UK, again, where we have a supportive government, where on the whole, Jews are protected and safe, both by the police and the CSP and so many organisations. Um, and by the government, again, we'll continue to reiterate that point, how grateful we are to the, to the government and also the opposition at the moment for standing by the Jewish community and standing by Israel. But ultimately, that doesn't matter if not translated down into the communities. And unfortunately, we're seeing that it's not been because over the weekend, 100,000 people went out to protest against Israel and against what I would say against the Jewish community. Others might, might argue against that. But again, on the whole, British Jews are safe in the UK um, and, and we're happy to live here in a Western liberal democracy where you are allowed to practice our faith. But at the moment, it feels like we're, we're veering towards a dangerous direction. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I, I went on ITV News and I said the same thing. I said, we need to be thankful of the police and the CST and for what they've been doing. Um, but I've, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's scary to see the direction we're going. I mean, in Manchester, we're very lucky. I mean, we've got, 
we've got police stationed on on quite busy Jewish roads there for like eight, nine, ten hours a day just to be there for people and talk to people and, and have a presence. But in London, like you said, it's not the same. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, again, we do have police out on the streets and outside the schools and the synagogues. But just think, why do we have to have that? No other community has to have such protection. And that's the reality in, 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 in the world that we're living in at the moment, that Jewish people outside our schools, outside our synagogues, outside our shops, on our streets, we have to have police protection. It's just absurd. And, you know, growing up, I'm not sure what it's like in Manchester, but in schools in London, in Jewish schools, we used to have terrorist training where they would say that there's been a terrorist infiltration yeah, into that. the primary school. And we would go under our chairs and under our desks. They would lock the doors, close the curtains, and we would practice for if a terrorist came in. Now, growing up, I thought that every single primary school did this until I realized that this was only Jewish schools that, that, that have such training. And so I think, again, that shows the severity of the situation. And whilst British Jews are safe, I hope, in the UK, um, there is a worry that perhaps one day it might not be the case. To go down a bit of a less morbid route, um, based on everything you've done, obviously, social media, racking up a lot of views, you've managed to get work a lot in Parliament. How did you get to do that? So, yes, um, I took I finished my A-levels last summer um, in 2022, and then I took a gap year. I was in Yeshiva and also in the Hebrew University doing a research fellowship. And then I left a few months early in May and started working for a cabinet minister um, in Parliament as his parliamentary, as his parliamentary researcher or assistant, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I'm thankful to the minister for firstly being such a great friend of Israel and the Jewish people. Um, but also for affording me this opportunity to work for him in Parliament in the heart of government to see behind the scenes. Um, and even before I started working directly with the Cabinet Minister, doing his research speeches and policy um, and doing his policy replies and running his social media. Um, before even I did that, I'm grateful to have worked through the work that I've been doing with Holocaust education um, with the US government, the UK government, Israeli government on different projects, changing the curriculums trying to get more Holocaust education into our schools, but also trying to push social media companies to be held accountable for anti-Semitism on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, Meta. Um, and I think it's, it's wholly important, especially, I think, again, if we go back to the Israeli conflict very quickly, um, if you see the disinformation that's being spread now, if only these companies had more of a reporting tool and actually had humans behind the screen listening to the reports that were being done and made, then perhaps this disinformation would be combated more, more, more quickly. But we look at the level of Holocaust denial on apps. I mean, Telegram is the worst. I believe it's over 50%. Um, don't quote me on that exactly. I think TikTok is 18% of all content about Judaism and the Holocaust is either denial, distortion, or anti-Semitism. That's an astonishingly high number. And I think that's why it's so important for people like me and other Jewish people to be on these apps. People often say, how can you educate about the Holocaust in 30 seconds, one minute clips? And I don't claim to be educating people about the whole Holocaust in one minute. What I do hope to do is that these young children who might otherwise be exposed to the denial, the distortion, the anti-Semitism, will see our page, will see our posts instead, and perhaps say, oh wait, there's another reality. Perhaps this is the truth, not that truth that those anti-Semites and those deniers are spreading. And then by perhaps watching all 800s of our videos, they would actually learn some sort of, of narrative around the Holocaust, the truth. And then they could read our book if they want to learn more or listen to more in-depth interviews or just go to their teachers and ask to learn more. But ultimately, I think it's about getting that initial interest and engaging those young people who otherwise might encounter this denial and distortion online. I think, I think it's also important to mention that what you're doing is actually much more important than people realise. Because well, whilst we have a war on the battlefields of Israel, 
what generally tends to happen in modern warfare is not a war of missiles, but a war of misinformation, a war of propaganda, and whoever wins that war is generally the victor. I mean, if you, if you like, like what happened last week uh, with the hospital in Gaza, that night when Hamas dis, uh, told the world that uh, that Israel did and Israel caused that missile, they could have won the war that night. Just because, I mean, Joe Biden could have easily cancelled his visit to America. So what you're doing yeah. is actually very, very, very important towards stopping that online. And I think that night we saw, again, especially from the BBC, I'm sorry to keep banging this point home, but we saw a paradigm shift and reporting from many news outlets, from some politicians even. I mean, Jeremy Corbyn, can you imagine if he was prime minister now? But the point <laughs> I was going to make is Jeremy Corbyn's sorry, tweet, I believe, that. is still up. Jeremy Corbyn's tweets are still up about blaming the Israelis for bombing the hospital. Now, over six million people that night saw that tweet. It's just ridiculous. Um, but the point is, as you say, that, that it is very important for young Jewish people, not only young Jewish people, but I mean, there's often a stigma around Jewish people being on social media, sharing the truth, sharing our story, because it's very important for us to be on there and to be sharing the truth, to be sharing um, our values. And if I may, again, go back to what happened on October 7th, we saw on the day that the Jewish people, Simchat Torah, the day the Jewish people celebrate our values, we celebrate our Torah, we celebrate our morality, our love for peace, for humanity. And what happens in Israel on that day when we celebrate our values of morality, of peace, of love, what we saw there was the complete opposite of that, done by Iran-backed terror. And I think the world needs more people, not like me, but people sharing the truth on social media and to people who might not otherwise see it of what the Jewish people really stand for. And I think hopefully what will come out of this is that Israel will show people that, that we care about civilian life. No other army ever um, instructs over a million people to move out of an area that will be bombed and that the army might invade. Um, and I think it's simple to me that that shows that we're a moral country. The Jewish people are a moral nation. Um, yeah, I mean, your whole career, I mean, not whole career, over the past couple of years, it's really, I, I feel like, and tell me if I'm wrong, has really led up to you working in politics and going up in the politi <laughs> political arena. Is that true? It's a good question. Many people often ask. Um, I'm not sure what the future holds. I'm currently doing a history degree. Um, I'm currently doing a history degree and I do work for a cabinet minister, um, but who knows what, what the future holds. What I am sure of, however, is that I'll continue for as long as I can to stand up for the Jewish people, to educate, to use my platform, to use my voice for good um, and, and to stand up for people. And, and I think it's important to say not only for Jewish people, um, because as my great grandmother says, that the Holocaust didn't start with the gas chambers. Auschwitz is not a place that fell from the sky. This is a place that was built up through words, through people being intolerant of others. And it's important that we as Jewish people, but all people realize that it's about standing up to all forms of hate and discrimination, not just anti-Semitism, anti-Jewish racism, um, but against hatred against whoever and wherever we see it in society. And as a Jewish nation, again, we pride ourselves on standing up for others. Um, and, and again, that's what I've always tried to do, to stand up to hatreds of all kinds. And at the moment, we're seeing anti-Semitism rise at an unprecedented level. I think it's over 1,000 percent, according to the police, as of yesterday. Um, on Friday, it was seven, an increase in 700 percent, according to CST, on the previous year. Those are worrying and alarmingly rapid numbers. And we've got to be vigilant. And what I would say to non-Jewish allies is please use your voice, stand up. Because unfortunately, at the pro-Israel rallies and, and, and vigils, unlike the pro-Palestinian and anti-Jewish rallies, where we're seeing hundreds of thousands, we're seeing a few hundred to a few thousand people at the pro-Israel um, and, and kind of Jewish solidarity rallies. And that's because the only people who go are Jews. We need more allies. We need more non-Jewish people to stand up, to use their voices uh, and to support us.
I mean, if I'm a betting man, which I'm not. After hearing that answer, I'll definitely see you going into statistics. <laughs> uh, well, we'll see. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, what, what else is it to talk about? I mean, you mentioned your book. I mean, uh, so you, your book was extremely successful. You, it's a bestseller on many, uh, whether it's Waterstones, whether it's uh, many places that has mentioned before. And you even had King, King Charles wrote a foreword for it. Uh, what, what was experiences with that? And how, and, I mean, it's a great honor to have King Charles write a foreword for that. And how did that happen? So we're incredibly grateful, personally, to everyone who's bought the book and read the book and supported us in our mission to educate people across the world about the Holocaust. Um, I guess at the time when we started, we were the first people on social media, especially on TikTok, to be educating about the Holocaust. And now plenty of people have followed suit um, and, and we're proud of that. And it's sort of the same with the book. Um, one of the first books, I think, to be written, especially about the Holocaust in the multi-generational aspect, but it wasn't just the survivor. It was also one of her descendants or a younger person speaking about modern kind of contemporary lens as well and how anti-Semitism is resurgence again and, and, and how we can kind of put that into our own lives with social media, etc. So I think it was unique in that way. And again, we're honoured and humbled to have King Charles's input into the book in, in the form of a foreword. And it kind of came about that my mum suggested perhaps you want to reach out to the king to see if you might support. He was Prince of Wales at the time. Um, and he's always been very supportive of the Holocaust survivor community and the Jewish community. He's obviously visited Israel before, but visited the Jewish community in the UK on many occasions. And so I sent an email to the palace and it took a few months backwards and forwards seeing exactly what would happen. They obviously had to read the book. Um, and then thankfully the Prince of Wales at the time, the king now, King Charles agreed to do it. And if you read the forward, it's very touching, very moving, a very personal account on his behalf, where he speaks about his own grandmother, Princess Alice of Greece, who helped to save Jews during the Holocaust. She's buried on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. She's one of the righteous among the nations who saved Jews. And so I think we, we are eternally grateful to the King for all he's done, not just for us, but also for other survivors and for the Jewish community. And then recently he commissioned a portrait of my great grandmother and six other Holocaust survivors, which are now hanging um, I think they're now in one of the Scottish palaces, but they're going to come back to Buckingham Palace eventually and, and hang there in perpetuity. Um, and look, these are things which are unprecedented for a British monarch to be to be doing, um, especially in support of the Jewish community. And, and we're we're really kind of proud of that that, that I helped to facilitate that and, and kind of of his involvement. But also, I think it helps reassure us, the British Jewish community and communities across the world. We've seen the King's um, statement on Israel recently, where He's able to call and, and say that Hamas are terrorists, but again, the BBC are not. Um, and we, we, I guess it can help reassure the Jewish community that the monarch will continue to stand by the Jewish people for as long as we need him to. Yeah, I think that's a great way to end. Thank you so much. For Thank you. Time.